Nation. We're back on Ariva Martin in real time. Avi Bernard in for Ariva Martin this evening. And I am very pleased to be joined by Mike Williams, Senior Fellow at the Center for American Progress. Mike, thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're on, you're muted there, but. Oh, it wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be Zoom if it wasn't uh, muting fiasco. <laughs> thank you, Avi. It's a pleasure. Uh, absolutely. And and so this UAW strike, the UAW, the International Union of United Automobile Aerospace and Agricultural Implement Workers of America. So that's a mouthful just in and of itself. Uh, but, Mike, I know a lot of people hear this. They think, OK, the auto um, auto workers strike. Can you just just kind of break it down for us so for someone who has no idea about, you know, what the strike is or, or why it's happening? Break it down for us, please. Yeah, definitely. So this strike is about the 150,000 people who work assembling the uh, the cars that are made by Ford, GM, and Stellantis. Stellantis is a name that maybe people don't know, but they own Jeep uh, and and a few other brands, Chrysler, for example, Dodge. Uh, and so there are negotiations for a contract for those 150,000 workers, and uh, they have not uh, they have not come to an agreement. So the UAW has launched what they've called a stand-up strike. That means that uh, not all 150,000 workers have walked out, but uh, certain locals in uh, Missouri, Michigan, and Ohio have walked out uh, to put the pressure on the companies uh, to meet, uh, to, to get leverage and try to get uh, the workers who are represented by the UAW the wages and benefits improvements and other items that they need. So uh, I'm glad you you mentioned that because that's one of the first things I wanted to ask you about this kind of rolling strike tactic. And so all 150,000 members are not striking. You know, uh, I, I'm a member of SAG-AFTRA. All of us are striking at the same time. All of the members of the Writers Guild are striking at the same time. That's not what the UAW is doing. They're, they're I believe uh, about 10% of them or somewhere in that range are striking at, at, at any given time. Uh, can you tell us why they decided to do it that way? Yeah, it's a somewhat innovative tactic, Avi. Uh, the UAW, if I'm not mistaken, has never fully struck all three companies at the same time. Uh, and so the negotiations with all three are happening at the same time, and they didn't come into agreement with any of them. And so rather than shutting down the whole of the auto industry, which they have the power to do, uh, and really rattling the American economy, they decided to keep it strategic and to keep it focused. Uh, but also keeping the option to shutting down the whole thing at the same time, if they need to. Negotiations are ongoing. Uh, to call them to say that they're broken down or anything like that is not true. Uh, the president of the auto workers has been giving updates. In fact, he said on Friday they they hope that there's significant progress made, but if not, they may ramp up their stand-up strike, potentially adding more or different locals to it. So you, you said this is strategic. Um, so in what way does this affect the big three automakers, Ford, GM, and Stellantis, who you're right, I think most people wouldn't have ever heard of Stellantis. So thank you for clarifying that they, they own Jeep and Chrysler and, and, and some others. But in, in what way does this kind of tactic, this strategic tactic work uh, in their favor? Doesn't this make it, easier for the big three to kind of continue their operations since they since not all of their workers are 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 striking at the same time potentially avi potentially but i think it also it hurts them in the sense that they are not making money so for example it's the um 
It's the Stellantis facility in Toledo, Ohio, where they make the Jeep Wrangler and the Jeep Gladiator. So currently those cars are not being made right now. So Stellantis is taking a hit on their production. They all, they have mapped out these big corporations. They have mapped out timelines to make, make their budgets and make their numbers, what they need to do. So the UAW is putting pressure and leverage on that right there with again, in their back pocket to potentially ramp it up even further. So the point of this, the point of this is not to shut down the auto industry at all. The point of this is to, to win a better life and better working conditions for the the auto workers. Do you think they they employed this tactic with the economy in mind so that they didn't crash the economy? Was that part of the calculus here? Um, I don't know, because I think I think people have been a bit hyperbolic about that. I don't think it would have crashed the economy. Uh, it certainly would have had a significant impact. I think, you know, certainly that's part of it. You know, the auto workers are working people and they don't want working people across the country to suffer. But they also want to make it known that their fight is is all of our fights. You're part of SAG-AFTRA, you said. Your fight is all of our fight. And to stand up and show that, that they're fighting for working people and to, to get the changes they need, the wage increases they need, uh, the pension changes they need, the benefit changes they need, the access to collective bargaining uh, that they need is really important, really important. But again, to that point, perhaps it's in the back of their mind, and that's why they're holding it as a last resort. So you have a you have a fascinating article on Market Watch that t- that I believe was published um, before the strike even happened. The strike is I think we're in our sixth day now. Um, and your in your article you talk about the the transition to electric vehicles, and that that to me is a, a fascinating part of this. Uh, where do electric vehicles factor into into this strike uh, on, on the whole? Yeah, it's um, perhaps one of the most critical pieces. It's not, I don't want to, to take away from the importance of making sure that auto workers get their wages and benefits um, up to that fair standard. But the discussion over electric vehicles is about what the future of the American auto industry looks like and if there is a future American auto industry. So on that second part, if there's a future American auto industry, that truly is whether or not our automakers invest in electric vehicles, because that is the future. Whether people want to or not, whether they decide to have a political opinion or not, that's the way it's moving. It's good for fighting the climate crisis, definitely. But also, countries across the world, companies across the world are investing in electric vehicles, and they're getting bought, purchased, and taken up tremendously. So we need America to adopt electric vehicles so that we have an auto industry for the future. Now, what does that look like? And this is what the UAW is fighting for. They're fighting to make sure that the jobs at those electric vehicle manufacturing plants are actually good, high quality union jobs. Because currently in a number of the plants, especially the battery plants, the people there are making significantly less than what the auto workers make under a UAW contract. So they're they're fighting... No, they're not, not, no, they're not. And even where the UAW organized, for example, in the Ultium plant in Lordstown, Ohio, GM, they're making batteries. It's probably going to go into the Chevy Bolt in 2024 and such. When they organized them, they were making $17, $18 an hour, significantly less, potentially 50%, uh, 50% of the wages that auto workers under the UAW contract were making. They had to fight with that first contract to really boost up their wages, which they did. And they they succeeded there as a big first step. So that's what they're fighting for. This, 
there's a phrase, Avi, that, that folks have used, especially who in the climate movement, it's called just transition. It's this notion that we can transition from a current or previous economy that's relying on fossil fuels uh, and older technologies or technologies that pollute to a new technology, but do it in a way where working people prosper. Now, it's nice in theory. It's great in theory. But this is it in practice. We can shift from making cars that burn gasoline and put pollution in the air to ones that use electricity and don't. And we still have working people who are making a really good middle class wage. So why do companies feel emboldened to have some of some of those uh, workers in the electric vehicle manufacturing plants non-union? Why, why, is, why is that? Why, I know that's that's part of this whole thing. But why why is that even happening in the first place? It's actually pretty prevalent in electric vehicles. Tesla is vehemently anti-union. Uh, Rivian, the new company, is not union. I wouldn't say anti-union yet, but perhaps. Um, Hyundai and Toyota, also not union, anti-union in some ways. And these battery facilities, yeah, they, they have been non-union. So why? I think it's a matter of corporate control. They don't want to have a, a, a weight on the other side pushing back and saying, you know, hey, we're working people. We're the ones building these batteries for the cars that's making you billions of dollars. We should be paid decently. They don't want to do that. They want to pay people $17, $18 an hour. So I think it's as simple as that, Avi. It's truly just corporate profit making. Uh, that's that's unfortunately usually the case. Now, now Mike, you, you said something a few minutes ago that, that struck me. You said, if there is a, a, an industry uh, going forward, what do you mean by that? What I mean is that if we say, you know what, to heck with this uh, electric vehicle thing, we're just going to keep pumping out uh, cars that run on gasoline and we'll let others do it. Then companies like uh, Volkswagen, like BYD, which nobody's heard of because it's a Chinese automaker, but they're making electric vehicles that are so cheap that they could potentially overcome the very high tariffs on electric vehicles. So in a couple of years, when the American public says, no, we actually like electric vehicles, they make a lot of sense. They're, they're actually very cheap to maintain. They're fun to drive. They're just going to start buying cars that are not made in the US, that are made uh, maybe at best in Canada or Mexico, but at worst in China. Or in India and way far away. And so we lose that whole supply chain. It's unlikely, Avi, because we have been investing and, and automakers have started to invest significantly in electric vehicles. And President Biden has invested heavily, thankfully. So I don't, I'm not saying it's likely, but it's not out of the realm of possibility if we were to take the advice of certain former president uh, and just close up shop. We're speaking with Mike Williams, senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. So, Mike, you mentioned President Biden and President Biden came out in support of the UAW strike in support of the workers. He um, he said he doesn't believe that in, in his view that the, the 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 big three have shared their profits with the workers in, in, in the way that they should have, while uh, uh, politicians on the other side of the aisle have come out against the striking workers and obviously, you know, Trump and, and even people running for president like Tim Scott. Um, well, what do you think, uh, what kind of political calculus uh, uh, are you making about this? Do you think that 
think that uh, this is a, a, a losing issue for Biden, even though he's supporting them. Uh, but, you know, we have 150,000 workers. Um, a, a lot of them are, are inevitably going to be, you know, uh, Republicans. And but I, does, does that make a difference or does his support even even matter? Because people seem to be blaming him a lot for this. His support does matter. It really does matter. And it's important for every I think for everyone to stand up and support working people. So. I'll, I'll come back to the political calculus people, the point that, that you were, or the question you were asking. Uh, but I want to start with the, the point about profits. Um, because the big three over the last 10 to 12 years, pretty much since President Obama bailed them out, and the auto workers bailed them out, by the way, the auto workers took major cuts to their wages and benefits and created a whole second lower tier just to save the auto industry. Since then, the auto companies have made a quarter of a trillion dollars in profits. The average wage of an auto worker since then has gone down 19% in wages. That's not fair. And so there was a uh, a poll just yesterday that came out, I think morning consult, and the American public, 75% of people support the auto workers in their strike. 75% of people. So in that vein, you think about like <laughs> massive corporate profits, Workers literally getting the shaft. We bailed them out, and the auto workers helped bail them out to support them. The water workers are getting the shaft. People see this and say, "No, you should, you should take care of them." I think that's a that's straight up raw politics. It's a winning issue, but even it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do to go to the picket line. It's the right thing to do to put out the statements and to say, "No, we stand with the auto workers. They deserve their fair share." All right. So now that that. You think it's the right thing to do? Do you think this issue overall will uh, will hurt Joe Biden's re-election prospects next year? I think it's too soon to say, Avi. And I think this it very just as easily could make things even better for President Biden because if he sticks to his principles, and these have been his principles, he is truly the most pro-union president of my lifetime, and potentially much longer than that. If he sticks to his principles and supports the UAW and they they win a really good contract and auto workers across the Midwest go back to work with wages that are significantly better, that have taken on uh, the inflation and the higher costs that, that they made, and they see that they got support from President Biden, they got support from, from Democrats in Congress and others, um, and the ones who are opposing them are the, the MAGA-style Republicans, um, that's, a, that's a significant thing. For them, to, for the communities across, the, especially the Midwest, where the auto supply chain is so important to those communities. So I think it could be a really big winner. And again, I do, maybe I'm naive, but most of the time doing the right thing eventually is the political winner, especially if it's coming from your heart. I think it's got to matter. I think it has to matter, especially when this many people are involved. And I may be getting too much into the political realm here. So if I am, just let me know. But uh, why do these MAGA Republicans and even mainstream Republicans not support the, the auto workers when, as you said, 75 percent of the American public does? Uh, perhaps it's just the old school conservative orthodoxy. Um, maybe. I mean, I said, I don't know if you saw Tim Scott's quote. Uh, it was it was ridiculous. He basically <laughs> said, oh, I do what Reagan would do and I'd bust I'd the union. Them. I'd fire people. Are you what the heck? That's insane oh and just so heartless. And then Trump is trying because he's 
a showman. He's, he says he's going to go to Detroit and make a speech. And he supports the workers, but he thinks the union is terrible, is what he says. Um, so he's trying to make it his thing in the Trumpian way to not actually support, even though he's the guy who appointed a union buster to run the Secretary of Labor when he was there. Um, so why they do this, I I truly couldn't tell you, Avi, except it's just the way they are. They have to support big business before working people, even though they say they support the working class. Their actions show that they don't. Do you, do you think there's there's any any coincidence to the fact that all of these strikes are kind of happening at the same time across different industries? Talk about the SAG uh, after strike, the worker strike. Um, you got uh, the UPS narrowly uh, avoided the strike. You, you've got uh, other strikes happening, and and now this one this is a, a huge uh, section of of the American worker now striking. Uh, do you think there's anything to that, or is it just uh, just a coincidence? I do not think it's a coincidence. Um, I think it's a it's a combination of things coming out of COVID and working people seeing in really stark detail how important they are as working people. I think that's really that was a big part of it. I think uh, the elect, honestly, the election of Joe Biden and having a person in power that supports unions shows that the political power of working people can matter and things can change in government when you put the right people there. So that's emboldened people to say, you know, what, we can exercise our power. And I think just it's almost like a cascading effect, you know, as one group of workers decides to stand up for their rights and for what's fair, they other workers see and say, hey, we should do that. So the Starbucks workers, the Amazon workers, uh, the Teamsters at UPS, uh, SAG-AFTRA, the writers, nurses, um, the auto workers, steel workers, uh, mine workers in Alabama, so on and so forth. It's just, I think people see this and they realize, hey, if they can do it, we can do it. If we have a president who supports us, that helps as well. All right, Michael, I'll get you out of here on this one. I got about 30 seconds for you. Just uh, if you don't mind, if you have one, what's your prediction uh, on how long this will last? I don't have a prediction on how long it'll last, Avi. I'm sorry. That's a, that's a cop out. I, I think there's going to be a good result. I really have faith that the auto workers are standing strong. The politics are behind them. And I think in the end, the automakers will do the right thing. I don't know why. I just think that it because this is up to them right now. It's up to them to step up and meet the moment and do the right thing by the auto workers and by the American public. Well, I sure hope you're right. Um, and uh, I, I do want to see the workers win. Um, I'm a supporter of all unions, obviously, being a member of one myself. And so uh, Mike Williams, uh, senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Avi. And good luck to you and all the members of SAG-AFTRA as well. Rooting for you guys hard. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. We all got to stand together across across all the different unions. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Thanks. Uh, when we come forward after this news, traffic, and sports update, we are going to be talking to Eleanor Muller, economic reporter for Politico. Uh, she has an article out uh, talking about why this, this strike could be going on for quite a while. We're going to have that conversation right after this news, traffic, and sports update right here on KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. And we're back on Ariva Martin in real time. Avi Bernard in for Ariva Martin today. 
and very pleased to be joined by Eleanor Mueller, economic reporter for Politico. Eleanor, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. A pleasure to have you here. Very, very uh, well done. Great reporting that you and your colleague have uh, talking about the five reasons why this strike could be going on for quite a while. And I, I do want to go through each of those reasons. Uh, and I want to start with uh, something we were talking about during the last half hour. Um, and that is this this kind of rolling strike tactic. Now, they they have quite a quite a, a war chest. UAW uh, that they that they compiled to to prepare themselves for this strike. Um, I, I think upwards of eight hundred million dollars, and they uh, they could pay all one hundred fifty thousand workers um, for about eleven weeks, but they don't have to pay all one hundred fifty thousand workers at the same time because all the workers aren't striking. Uh, can, can you talk to us about that dynamic? Yeah, I mean it's a fascinating concept. They the UAW has said, you know, that they're only going to announce certain strikes at certain plants and so right now workers have walked out at three plants across at three different states. It's only, uh, you know, less than 13,000 workers. And so you can see, right, how that strike fund is going to stretch a lot longer than 11 weeks if they continue this way. You know, they have enough to pay workers who are on strike $500 um, a month. It's uh, not great money, you know what I mean? But based on that, right, and based on what they've saved, if they keep doing it this way. Um, it's going to last them a long time. Yeah, if you, it, let's just say if they are are, are having to pay 10% of their workforce um, and they have enough to pay everyone for 11 weeks, then you'd multiply that by by 10, that would be 110 weeks. So um that's that's just potentially if they were to continue to do this. Now that would be unprecedented, obviously. Um, that would be the longest strike in history by by a, a large margin. But um, how do, how are they determining which which plants to strike from? Because it's it's kind of like we're gonna. It's it's almost like you're like they're a boxer and they're kind of deciding which areas of the body to hit, right? Why? How are they deciding which which uh, which plants to strike from? a great question. And, you know, the UAW president, uh, Sean Fain, has not really given us a lot of clarity into how he's deciding that. What we do know right now is that, again, like I said, it's three different states, but it's also one plan at each of the manufacturers that the union is negotiating with. So they're in talks with Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis, and one plant at each of those companies is on strike. And so I think they're being very strategic about spreading this across all three of the companies that they're in conversations with. And you mentioned the union president, Sean Fang, Now he hasn't been on the job for very long. And you mentioned that as one of the reasons why this strike, uh, the length of the strike uh, is, is a big unknown. Well, uh, what is it about Sean Fain uh, that gives the UAW either an advantage or a disadvantage? Well, so far, he seems to be doing a great job, right? It takes a lot of discipline and a lot of coordination to pull off the kind of strike that we've been talking about. Uh, that being said, he has been in office for, you know, less than a year, and he won by a very narrow margin. So especially when you're talking about solidarity and organized labor, having your union members really believe in you is a huge part of how effective you can be. And I think with him, it's just, it's unproven so far. You know what I mean? The reviews are good. but whether or not that's something that he can sustain, especially, you know, as members are calling for him to be 
tougher to call for a nationwide strike at all plants. I think we just, it's going to be a matter of time. Now you talk about uh, uh, Stellantis being, uh, being based in Europe. And because of that, they're not facing the same kind of public pressures that Ford and General Motors are. So, and we covered this in the last half hour. Stellantis is a company that most people probably have not heard of. That and they own um, car car brands like Jeep and Chrysler. So, um, how how does that play a factor in this? Because if if the other two of the big three, Ford and GM, if they are really wanting this to end and they're facing a lot of public pressure, would they not then? pressure Stellantis to, to kind of get on board with them? I mean, I think the fact of the matter is that Stellantis doesn't really care what Ford and General Motors have to say. You know what I mean? Like, at the end of the day, these are three separate uh, boardrooms. And like I talk about in the article, you know, Ford and GM are U.S.-based. They're very responsive to what Biden is saying. They're very responsive to the vast majority of American adults who have said that they support the workers. Uh but it's Stellantis, I mean, they're based in the Netherlands, right? They have companies in a lot of other places. And so I don't know that, you know, even the pressure of other auto manufacturers could necessarily sway them. Now, you said something that, that struck me. You said the Ford and GM are very receptive to what President Biden has been saying. What do you mean? How, how, is that, how does that look? Yeah. So, I mean, just because they're based in the United States, you know what I mean? It it affects them a lot more what the president is saying than it does a company that's not based here. And Biden has, in his remarks, been very supportive of the workers. We've seen polls that show us that even, you know, Republicans, which are not typically a very union-friendly party, are supportive of the striking workers. They think that they deserve the things that they're asking for. And if you are doing business primarily in the United States, those things are much more consequential than if you are kind of spread across the world. And this is really just one facet of where you operate. So what is there anything that could make Stellantis more amenable to the union's terms? It's not public pressure, obviously, but is there anything that would make them kind of, you know, want to want to put this to an end other than other than obviously losing their profits? Which I think <laughs> is going to be the main the main calculus for for any uh, any major corporation? I think that's a great question. I don't know that that's immediately clear right now. You know, they are, as it stands, very far apart on the things they're talking about. The unions asked for, you know, as high as a 40% raise for its workers spread over several years. And the last offer from Stellantis was really nowhere near that. And so I think it'll just be a matter of, waiting and seeing. It's only been a little less than a week. And as we know, these strikes can last for weeks, even months, um, in some cases, even longer than that, as we saw with the mine workers. And so we'll just have to see. I think it's a, I think there's a lot of question marks at this point. No, no, I'm glad you brought that up because I did want to ask you about where things stand, at least at last you've heard. Uh, and you've done a lot of reporting on this and and so you said that the workers have asked for uh, up to a 40% raise um, on uh, over several years. Um, so what's the, what's the latest you've heard about where talks are between the UAW and the big three automakers? 
It's a little tricky because all three of these conversations, these negotiations are in slightly different places. You know, last I saw the employers were offering it somewhere in the 10 to 20 percent range for raises that spread over a number of years. The union feels really strongly about 40 percent, right? They point out that this is how much executives pay has increased in the same time period. And they've also made the case that after the Great Recession, when the industry was on the verge of collapse, you know, they took all of these pay cuts to help keep these employers afloat. And so, you know, they've said it's time to make us whole again, bring us back up to what we should have been making. Um, And yeah, like I said, they are still, the companies have met them in some cases, not even halfway. So any kind of a contract negotiation is going to be about compromise, but whether that's going to be on the part of the union or the employers, I think remains to be seen. So we talk about the big three automakers and and we talked about Stellantis, you know, not caring what Ford and GM uh, want them to do. So these are three independent companies. How does that work with negotiations? So does, does UAW have to negotiate with each of them individually? Yeah, they do. What is, I think, a question that I am waiting to be answered at this point is whether or not an agreement with one of the manufacturers Mm. could be accepted, even if an agreement with the others isn't reached. You know, from what I can tell, that's really not clear. You know, if UAW reached an agreement tomorrow with Stellantis, would it back off from Ford and GM a little, or would it, it continue full force until all three of them had gotten to the same page? I think that that's something that, you know, the UAW president has been kind of keeping close to his chest so far. That would be an interesting dynamic. I mean, if they did, for instance, reach uh, an agreement with Stellantis and, and and had not reached one with Ford or GM yet, could they conceivably, and this is just speculation, but could they conceivably then kind of intensify their strikes against Ford and GM since they would no longer have to be striking against uh, uh, Stellantis, and they'd have more funds to put uh, uh, towards the employees of Ford and GM? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, especially if they don't feel like we talked about that the other manufacturers can pressure, you know, one of the manufacturers to reach a compromise, then absolutely, yeah, having only one employer or two employers to focus on would allow you to stretch that strike fund much further. You know, we're not going to... Uh, when we had the railroad strike and when we've talked about, you know, renewing contracts for the port workers, the president had the ability in each of those cases to step in because this is auto manufacturers and because it's only three of them, you know, it's not a majority or a monopoly of the industry. It's very unlikely that the president will force a conclusion. They can step, they can participate in talks, you know, they can, say what they want to say publicly, but neither the president nor Congress can mandate them to reach some kind of an agreement. And so they're on their own here, right? And I don't think anything's been taken off the table at this point. Yeah, I I did want to ask you about that next. When we come forward, I want to ask you about that distinction about this this being a, a strike that the president of the United States doesn't necessarily have to get involved in. So when we come forward, I'll I'll ask you about that right here on KBLA Talk 1580. We're back on Ariva Martin in real time. Avi Bernard in for Ariva Martin this evening. And we are joined by Eleanor Mueller, economic reporter for Politico. And we're talking about the UAW strike, which is about a week old at this point, as you mentioned, Eleanor. And I did want to ask about uh, the, the thing you mentioned in your article regarding regarding the president's 
um, requirement to get involved during certain strikes, but not this one. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so there are two labor laws that govern strikes in the United States. One of them is called the Railway Labor Act, and that one allows the president and Congress to step in if there is a work stoppage that involves either airlines or railroads. The other law, which governs about everything else, is um, is um, a little broader. And for the president to step in, it requires that basically whatever is going on affects the free flow of com- of commerce. So it basically would have to affect the global food supply chain to allow policymakers to step in and take action. In the case of the UAW strike, you know, because this is only three auto manufacturers, because, you know, the sale of cars isn't necessarily something that's going to prevent groceries from getting to stores. It's just, it's going to be extremely unlikely that the president would be able to step in and mandate the sides to come to some kind of an agreement, reach some kind of conclusion and nip this in the bud prematurely. What would it look like for for a president to to mandate a resolution? How can a president make make uh, the two sides um, come to an agreement or, or put it into a strike? Well, it's pretty complicated. And it also involves, of course, the will of the president to do something. You know, President Biden had it, the option to do this at the end of last year when a bunch of railroad workers went on strike. Um, and But because he has taken such a pro-union stance, because he wanted to support organized labor in their efforts to reach a consensus on their own. He was very clear that he didn't want to do it. You know what I mean? Like he said, I trust you. I'm going to send in my labor secretary. I'm going to help you out however I can. But I don't really want to force something on you that the unions and their officials had not chosen for themselves. And so I do think that even if Biden somehow got the ability, it wouldn't necessarily be something that he would be that thrilled about doing. And that's because he would kind of be undermining the union. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, unions generally take the stance of urging policymakers to let them reach a consensus on their own. You know, they want to make something happen that their rank and file is going to be happy with that they think is a good idea and not cede that ability to someone else. So now past uh, UAW strikes have ranged from 40 days in 2019 to 113 days in the 1940s. So 113 days, I'm just doing some quick math in my head. It's a little over, but it's about three and a half months. Um, So that's, that's, that's really significant. Um, Do you have any sense of, where in between those two uh, those two numbers uh, this strike might wind up? It's a great question. I mean, it could be outside of those two numbers even. It could be shorter. It could be longer. I think because, again, like this, because this strike is being conducted the way that it is, because it is different plans in different states with the ability to escalate or to scale back at will, we just, re- we really don't know. You know, it hasn't been done before. The UAW has never conducted this kind of strike before. And so just the kind of time frame we're looking at is much more difficult to predict than it would be for a traditional strike where UAW told, you know, all of its workers at Ford plants or all of its workers at GM plants to walk out. Instead, we're seeing workers across three employers 
three different locations specifically, uh, you know, not not come in for work. And that's that's a much more difficult situation to kind of get your mind around. And I asked this to to our last guest as well, but I wanted to get your take on this. Do you think that the UAW striking in, in the same year that SAG-AFTRA is striking and the Writers Guild is striking and UPS uh, narrowly avoided a strike and uh, all, all these workers across all these industries are kind of are striking close to the same time. Is, is there any anything to that or is, is the UAW kind of empowered by strikes in other industries? Yeah, there's a real domino effect. You know, when you see workers in other industries going on strike, that obviously, uh, you know, opens that idea for you as well. But I think even beyond that, uh, we have seen a president who, by his own admission, is one of the most union-friendly presidents in history. You know, he can't pass legislation, of course, without Congress, and Congress right now is divided, and so that's been difficult, but he's found ways through regulations and, you know, executive orders to kind of pave the way for unions in the United States. And he's also used the bully pulpit, right? Like he's also been very willing to publicly say that he thinks that, you know, workers in on strike in Alabama deserve better benefits. And that's something that I think, especially for those who are younger and might not have a lot of context to place it in, is a huge deal. You know, normally even Democratic progressive presidents have been very hesitant to side so publicly with unions, especially in ongoing labor disputes. And so we did see, you know, after Biden took office, there were way more petitions to file a union. Um, And when you combine that with the fact that we had this pandemic that really tilted the balance of power toward workers, you know, the labor supply was so tight. It was wages went up, you know, it was way easier to find a job. Uh, And that also empowered people, you know, if you can go easily around the corner and find a job that might be easier and a boss that might treat you better and wages that are $5 an hour or whatever higher, you're going to go do that. And you're going to feel better about being able to walk away from your job if you're not being treated correctly. And so it's really that perfect storm of those two things, right? It's that we have this very union-friendly president and we have a, a labor market, thanks to COVID, that has kind of empowered workers to feel like they're more valuable. Is there anything that we haven't covered that that in this conversation that, that people need to know that, uh, that, that that's really pertinent about this strike? Not that I can think of, you know, I think we've touched on it all. I think, (laughs) I think of anything, you know, it's just reminding people that we're only less than a week into this. There's a lot of unanswered questions, particularly because of how they're approaching this. And so anything could happen. I know right now it's the supply of just a certain number of, you know, cars and specific makes, but if it stretches a lot longer, the entire auto supply could be really affected at a time when already, obviously, Interest rates are high, inflation is high, and yeah, could just be another thing that makes the job of uh, bringing down prices a little bit harder. In, in thirty seconds, last question for you. If you can give me the answer in thirty seconds, do, do you think this will harm the uh, the continued growth of electric vehicles? I think it certainly complicates things for President Biden, who has long pushed you know these electric vehicle policies. I think every Republican 
on the Hill and President Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump, has made the case that Biden and his electric vehicle policies are the reason that this is happening. And, you know, whether or not those are claims that get any traction remains to be seen. But I think we can certainly expect them to keep trying to drive home that point, especially ahead of 2024. Eleanor Mueller, economic reporter for Politico. Thank you so much for your insights and your reporting. Great work on this. And and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. When we come forward, you are going to be hearing the Raw Report with Robin Ayers with the latest entertainment news. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Avi Bernard and I am gone.